Drive All Night is supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can help, please visit patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus. There you'll learn what exciting rewards we're offering for your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus to help us continue to make high quality and Torytainment for you. What I thought was so nice was that you have little feelings on the songs or what inspired the song. I mean, it's not very... It's a little subtle, the way that you, you describe well, the inspiration. I wanted to give them little biographies, mm. you know, so that they had a little birth certificate and just where they came from, the inception of the little critter. Hey, everybody. You're listening to Drive All Night, the songs of Tori Amos. We are your hosts. I'm Ephraim Jr. And I'm David Anderson. And on today's episode, we're talking about Upside Down, a B-side from Tori's first album, Little Earthquakes. are you? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm pretty good. Thanks for asking. (laughs) Are you okay? Are you okay when everything is not okay? No, I'm definitely not. (laughs) I can be sent into a tailspin if there's chaos around me. Same. Me either. I'm a disaster. When the world melts down, so do I. I'm not the eye in any storm. Look someplace else. Somehow that doesn't make for a good lyric, though. I melt down when everything is not okay. How are you? How's your new year? How, everything going good? Fantastic. Everything's going good. Good. <laughs> yeah. So everything is okay. So you are okay. Yeah. Solid B. Not even a B plus? No, just a B. Oh. B-E-E? Possibly. I mean, this is Tori's first B-side. It's our first B-side. We're beside ourselves. Everything's B. <laughs> Let it be. Exactly. This song is super special to me. Does it fall in your top 10? No. And just to be clear, this is a Diana Ross cover, right? Yeah. 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 For Tori's debut single, Me and a Gun, she covered disco classic Upside Down (laughs) by Diana Ross. It's the B-side. Upside Down. We'll get there in the live section, but she did do Upside Down with Upside Down, right? Is that true? We'll have to uncover it later. It would surprise me. Remember when she did Faith with Faith and she chortled in a (laughs) self-satisfied manner? She's like, (laughs) you kids are going to love this. Uh, (laughs) She turned into Cher also. (laughs) Faith. Oh. Oh, kids are going to love this. I guess it would be nice <laughs> if I could touch your body. Oh, faith. <laughs> this is one of my top 10 songs. This definitely falls in my top 10. Sing it, weird kid. You go, girl. <laughs> yep, I went, girl. I sure did. This song shattered, shattered, shattered your top 10. It did. What is your memory of hearing the song for the first time? And thusly, and as we enter our B-side season, I want to know your relationship with the Little Earthquakes B-sides. Because if it's anything like mine, it was like, what? There are B-sides? I had no idea there were other songs that weren't on an album. Eve, you know I get uncomfortable when you probe my relationship status on the air. Exactly. Um... (laughs) 
No, but I love this question, and I love it even more when I have an answer, and I remember specifically. <laughs> I love all questions more when I have an answer. Yeah, as opposed to when they just disappear into the void. Um, the winter single was, I think it was the second single that I ever purchased. I'm pretty sure the first single I purchased was God, the U.S. God single. But winter was right there. And so, yes, this was one of my first experiences with B-sides. And as I've said on the show before, at that point in particular, I was very much into piano ballad Tory. And that's what I wanted. So when I played the winter single, I was like, take to the sky. Mm, nah, the pool, weird. And then when the riff from <laughs> <I'm> a weirdo... <laughs> I'm like, I'm not in the mood to swim. I just ate. Give me 30 minutes. <laughs> and then the riff from Upside Down started. And I was like, yeah, okay, okay, Upside Down. Yeah, this is what I wanted. <laughs> so I had a very positive reaction to it. Yeah, how about you? Well, my whole experience with B-Sides obviously was born through Tori Amos. I'd like to say I didn't even know what B-Sides were and that there were B-Sides. But I didn't even know really the way music worked at all. I didn't know album. You know what I mean? Like I was learning kind of everything with Tori. And I remember one time, a uh, very pivotal moment in my life, my aunt said, I'll buy you any CD you want from Hastings because I was building my CD collection. I was young. I was a tween. And we walk into Hastings in Las Cruces, New Mexico and I see, I go of course to the Tory section. This was after Earthquakes had come out prior to Under the Pink and I would have to say it's like sometime in 1993. Probably like the summer of 93. Uh, and I'm looking through the Tory section and there's not only is there Winter, which was my first one, but also there's Crucify with Thank You and Angie. Mm -hmm. And there was something else. But I was like, I need these. I need these. And she bought them for me. There was a third one. I know there was a third one. Maybe it was silent all these years. But she bought me all of the singles all at once. Thus, my relationship with becoming a Tori Amos collector was born. It was just as simple as that. Yeah. So did you know that these singles and therefore these B-sides existed before you saw them in person? No. No. Did you? You know what? I did only because... <sighs> I had the sheet music for Under the Pink, like those folio books of piano sheet music uh -huh. for Little Earthquakes and specifically Under the Pink. And Under the Pink had kind of a primitive discography included Ooh. at the beginning. And it listed all these singles. So that's the only reason I knew that they existed. And like the Cornflake Girl limited edition, for example, uh -huh. it had the track listing. And I was like 13 or whatever I was. So I didn't know who Joni Mitchell was. And it just had song <laughs> titles. Do you know who she is yet? No. <laughs> <laughs> so I just saw these titles and I was like, a case of you? That sounds interesting. And I still kind of like my assumption better than the actual song. I thought it was like when you come down with a case of... Me too! When you come oh down God. with a case of something. <laughs> yeah! Which I guess was kind of a precursor to Cotolite Sneeze. Like, I'm sick! You're making me sick! But <laughs> and I, I think that probably we'll get there in the case of you episode, but I think there is kind of a double meaning behind it, but definitely not what Joni intended. Yeah. I think more in the Tory version. Mm -hmm. So honestly, I I never played piano, so I never bought the sheet music. I didn't even know the sheet music existed. It sure did. But it was distinctly that moment where I looked at the Tory section and saw all of the things that I didn't have and the fact that there were all of these extra songs on them that were very, very good and meant so much to me. It was that distinct correlation that made me desperately afraid of missing out on anything Tory, and that's what made me collector. It's like, I've got to constantly check. You know what I mean? It was that fear that I'd been missing out for so long. Like, I would never have known these songs if I hadn't just glanced through the section that one day. No, yeah. If we've said it once, we've said it a thousand times. Tory songs are like Pokemon. You got to catch them all. Exactly. And I would love to have a Tory songs app 
Maybe when we create our Songs of Tori Amos app, we can like have 3D figurines of the songs that we have to like go find throughout the country. Oh my God, on tour. That would actually be really fun. Where you have to catch all the girls. Yes. Oh my God, I'm starting to work with Michael Morrison right now yes, on it. Let's do it. Like Black Dove, <laughs> Black Dove is on the move. She's headed to the Del Taco. <laughs> well, we wouldn't put Black Dove in the Del Taco. It would have to be Mary Jane in the Del Taco. <laughs> <laughs> She's so high. Shaggy's like, why do I keep catching Mary Jane? <laughs> Um, that's a really good idea. But anyhow, I love this song. This song means so very much to me. It is the first ever song, quote unquote, that I had with someone. You know, my very first BF, whatever. I was worldly. You were. I'm jelly. And I'm also sickened by the fact that I just said that. I'm sorry. Let me rephrase. <laughs> I am jealous. To this day, I've never had a song with someone. Sad. Ever? No. You can just say this is our song and it becomes our song to or your who, song. Who am I going to say that to? We can have our song, David. Oh, okay. You know what I think our song is? What? Riot Poof. I like that. You know why I'm thinking that song? No. I was going to say because of the pivotal 1999 Denver performance, but maybe our song should be He Wears Heels. Oh, that's good. That's a deep yeah. cut. It's like no one else would understand the song. There's not even a studio version. It was a one-off. Right. That's how special <laughs> our love is. That's our song. He wears heels. <laughs> and we do too. Yep. Um, I was so worldly that I didn't even notice that this is a terrible love song. <laughs> this is not a good song to have with someone. It's a tumultuous little song. I mean, it's a wonderful song, but it's not like really about how romantic our love is and how we'll always be together. Would you even consider this a relationship song at all? No, not at all. Mm -hmm. It was our song born of the circumstance of listening to the song and the very first time we ever kissed, the placement of my head, I was upside down and then we were listening to upside down Stop i was like oh it. it's perfect i was i had my head on his lap and he like leaned down to kiss me oh my god and so our heads were upside down on the background oh. the tv is on mute playing a rerun of wkrp in cincinnati and you were like i, <laughs> I like the word i like this gay kissing more of this rose petals fell from the ceiling i had them rigged oh <laughs> i just pulled a little rope and they all just kind of slowly oh, descended i down. love your commitment to production value thank you i always have been committed um, his name was Dwayne. Sadly, he's passed away. He passed away a few years ago, and I'm very excited that we get to redo this episode because the last time we did this episode, I really wanted to have him on the show, and I didn't know if that would be weird because, you know what, he and I had, like, communication after we broke up, and, you know, it was, like, 20 years have passed, you know what I mean? So I wanted to just, like, revisit that idea. I just, I got too nervous, so I never reached out to him. And then when the episode came out and I talked about him a little bit, I was like, I should send this to him and just like let him know that I love him still, like deep down, you know, as like an always love. But I never sent it to him because I thought that would be weird. And then he passed away, so I, I missed my opportunity to like actually reach out to him and tell him how much he meant to me throughout my life and mm -hmm. just like how formational that first love was. So today, this is all about paying tribute to that in my mind. I love that. And I'm glad I get the chance to talk about it. So did this song kind of define your relationship in any way? Or was it just something that you shared because you both loved the song? Well, that's a good question. I think that by the time he and I met, I was the Super Torimus fan. And that song happened to be on when we kissed for the first time. And then he instantly like absorbed her. And then we became like Super Tori Freaks together. Mm. Because that was around the time of like, I would say the Under the Pink 
B-sides when this was all going down. And so I remember like getting Cornflake Girl with him and God with him and Pass the Mission with him. That is true intimacy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sharing Tory B-sides, yeah. sharing the singles, sharing the imports. I need more information about this first kiss. Like what was Upside Down playing on? Did you have the winter single in? Did you Had you made a mixtape and it just so happened to come on? Thank you for diving deep, David. This is important. I think that you have a career as an investigative journalist in your future. Mm. I had a boombox. My father had bought me a boombox. It was like this small little black boombox. He bought it for me in the summer of 92. The, my very first CD, which was what he wanted to hear, which was En Vogue Funky Divas, because he loved that song, My Lovin', You're Never Gonna Get It. That's what your dad wanted to hear? <laughs> he loved that song. Would he remember that? Like, to this day? Yeah, absolutely. If out of nowhere with no context, you said to your dad, and now it's time for breakdown. Would he... With, never gonna get it. Yeah, never gonna get it. Without skipping a <laughs> beat. Never gonna get it. Never gonna get it. I mean, he wouldn't sing with me, I don't think, but... <laughs> What if he did and we found out we were amazing harmonizers? Oh my gosh, make it happen. <laughs> no, but he bought me this little boombox in summer of 92. So I was like growing my CD collection and I was playing the winter single. That's a party mix. And we were in my teen bedroom, which I had decorated, you know, and I had painted like interesting things on the wall. Such as? Such as like, be a light unto yourself over the window. <laughs> <laughs> I was very moody. It was really cool. Oh my God, you were always provocative. What was the question you had posted at your cash register when you were working at the store? Where are the velvets Where when you're coming down? Where are the velvets? Be a light unto yourself. Be a light unto yourself. Mm -hmm. I still believe that. Be the snack you want to see in the world. Be the snack you want to eat in this world. <laughs> Anyhow, on today's episode, we have an interview with Upside Down superfan Amber E. And I couldn't be more thrilled to talk to her. I love talking talking to her and I also love talking to John Ourzler who will be here for the live section. We're doing something a little unique this season. Should we get this party started, David? It's already started. Every party starts when I show up. Until you arrive, everyone else is just early. Mm -hmm. Okay, we should say thank you to Shay. Shay is our historian who puts together our show notes. She's done it again this time. Thanks, Shay. Shay, she's done it again. I'm O'Shea when everything is not O'Shea. She's up shade down. <laughs> um, Inside our head, the noise. Shader, shader, shader. Shader, shader, shader. <laughs> I was trying to work that out. Thanks so much, Shay. <laughs> Thanks, we Shay. appreciate everything that you do. Mm -hmm. Let's roll it to this cover. Oliver, play clip one. Tori Amos cover by Quentin Chen of Upside Down. Says you'd be 
shadows, shadows, shadows And I know you're still on board Still coming out of your mother's arms But when you go to stand on your own Say what I said Tell me what makes it startling Say you always find my faults Fast away you find your own Say the world is getting Maybe what have you been smoking? Oh, I dream, I dream, I dream. I loved a black boy. My daddy would scream. We've placed Upside Down as the very first episode in our B-side season because of where it falls in Tori Amos's release history. It was the very first B-side on the very first single that Tori Amos ever released in October 1991, the Me and a Gun UK single with Silent All These Years as the actual A-side and Me and a Gun as the (laughs) B-side. She's so wild. She doesn't follow convention, David. No, she never has. Now, let me ask you this. Was this vinyl release a 12-inch or a 45? Well, I have it as a 12-inch single. Isn't that interesting? The Mina Gun. This is pulled straight from the Collectibles book. I have it here as a 12-inch single released on East West as catalog number YZ618T. So if you wanted to call East West and be like, hey, um, do you have any of those YZ618Ts in stock still? (laughs) What if they have one in their vault? They're like, oh yeah, there's one left. And they don't realize it's the master. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They just send it out. Damn it. I also have it released as a 7-inch single, so a 45 and a 33. So was there really a 33 with one song on each side? No, 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 no. It had Silent All These Years and Upside Down, and then it had Me and a Gun and Thoughts. Okay. Nevertheless, that seems like an interesting choice to release it on that format. Were they trying to get club play? Yeah, obviously. It's a good vocal. But you know what? As we discovered at Tory Prom post Last Native Invader Show 2017, you can dance to absolutely any Tory song. You really so, can. I know. Thank you, Mateo. <laughs> Thank you. You can dance if you want to. I have this as released on October 21st, 1991. So no longer just October 91, October 21st, 91. Finally, some clarity. I should have just opened this collectibles book a long time ago. Back to that 12-inch. If anyone has one, I need it. I'm starting to collect Tori Amos again. Vinyl, though. That's where I'm starting. Vinyl. Mm-hmm. So as the very first B-side in Tori's catalog, how do you feel? Is it a good introduction to all B-sides? I think so. As a gateway B-side, particularly for Tori, yeah, I think that fits yeah, the bill. Yeah, it has everything you need. It has a killer vocal. It has a hot lyric. Mm-hmm. It has bells, church bells. Yeah, and a deep, deep meaning. It has kittens. Almost an impenetrable meaning, mm. right? Which we'll get into. Yeah, I'm willing to penetrate it. It also appears on the Silent All These Years CD single and 12-inch vinyl of that, which was re-released later in November of 1991. She was not going to let us get away with anything. She wasn't. No, she's like, you will have Upside Down. I'm going to put it on everything and just keep changing the title of what it's on. So you'll slip slip it in there. And one way or another, you're getting Upside Down. It appears on the Silent All These Years cassette single in the United States in April 1992. That's cool. (laughs) I guess you could say Silent All These Years. It's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. (laughs) 
<laughs> it also appears on the Silent All These Years CD reissue in the UK in August 92. My goodness. Why did they reissue it? Why didn't they just restock it? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. What's the difference between reissuing something and restocking something? Did they change the cover art somehow? Well, I'll read about it from the collectibles book. Are you ready? I'm ready. It says, postponed for May, Silent All These Years was finally re-released in August. They made them wait the whole summer and became the sixth and final UK single from Little Earthquakes. Silent All These Years preserved the same tracks as the earlier Me and a Gun and Silent All These Years singles. However, the CD was no longer a picture disc. The CD insert no longer contained the lyrics of the earlier versions and the catalog numbers had been changed. Okay. The seven-inch single and cassette single replaced Me and a Gun and Smells Like Teen Spirit as the B-side. Part two is a very limited CD single digipack that includes the non-LP tracks Ode to the Banana King, part one, Song for Eric, and a live version of Happy Phantom. The Silent All These Years limited CD single, along with a Me and a Gun CD single, and the Crucified Live EP box are probably the three rarest commercial Tory CD singles ever. Whew. I love that East-West crack marketing team. They're like, let's put out the single again, but make it not as good. How about we make right. it <laughs> I know. not a picture disc and remove the lyrics and anything else? Yeah. Bonus content-wise. Awesome. Let's take off the Tory songs altogether. <laughs> Let's just send out a blank CD. We'll goof yeah. on them. It's just an empty jewel case, and when you buy it, we'll punch <laughs> you in the face. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I mean, it might be expensive to produce a picture disc. Who knows what they're thinking? And they may have maybe marketed it wider. I don't care. I got my own problems. You're a record company. Right. <laughs> you have one job. Produce a picture disc. Do it. Do it. You have the money. It also appears on the Winter Limited Edition CD single, which came out in November of 1992. I question how limited edition that was, because I saw them everywhere and still do. Same. Precious Things promo CD in the U.S. in 1992. Then it appears on Pass Emission Part 1, limited edition CD single, <laughs> recorded live in the U.K. May 1994. Inside my Under the Pink and More Pink 2CD Tour Edition, it also appears on in November 94. And then in 1997, it appears on the Rain Show, live from New York VHS. next here from Upside Down, the next live version we have is from August 1999 on the Bliss CD single recorded live in Binghamton, New York on November 10th, 1998. Here it is. Uh, I don't do this one very much anymore, but somebody asked me um, last night at the, uh, at the coffee house to do this, so here, here you are.
Is it okay? Is everything okay? I had a visitor from uh, Bootsy Collins or something. Is he gone? I wish he wasn't gone. It's in my dressing room. Are we okay? Okay. Go ahead. And then we don't hear from it for eight years, David. Eight long years. But then it appears on Five Legs and Boots. Buffalo, New York, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Melbourne, Florida, Boise, Idaho, Phoenix. And when you just see that on paper, on one tour and five official releases, you're like, what? Upside down five (laughs) times? But let us not forget, this became a Clyde song. It did become a Clyde song. But the reason it's so surprising to me is because in that 1998 live version on the 99 Bliss single, she says, I don't play it much anymore. Like, it's kind of over. Right. And then it continues to appear like a hundred more times. Seriously. And she was like, someone asked me for this at Starbucks yesterday. So here you go. They asked for two Splendas and an Upside Down. It next appears on disc A of A Piano, released in September 2006. And then we get it again on the Live at Montreux CD, DVD, vinyl release, released in September 2008, but recorded on July 3rd, 1991. Roll it, Oliver. So we at least know the song was written prior to July 91, right? Like that's the earliest known performance of this song. Yeah, far in advance of Little Earthquakes actually being released. So Mm -hmm. knowing that Upside Down was intended to be on Little Earthquakes, it kind of tells me too the relationship that she has with the song that even though it wasn't on the album or eventually did not make the final track listing of the album, that she still loved it enough to play it constantly live. Mm-hmm. So at this point, six, seven months out, we can assume probably that the track listing wasn't finalized and she wasn't necessarily playing a B-side like it might have been. You're right, exactly. Good point. That's really good point. Smart observation. She thought she was playing the hot first single. <laughs> I know, right? You guys don't know what you're hearing, but in a few months, you're going to love this. <laughs> I guess it didn't matter because that crowd had no idea what any of these songs were, so. Yeah. We last see it on two deluxe edition releases, Little Earthquakes Deluxe and Under the Pink Deluxe. And an interesting snafu from the Under the Pink Deluxe is that it is printed on the track list as being recorded in 1994 because we're assuming they meant to include the version from the Pass the Mission single, but it is actually the same live recording that they included in the Bliss single from Binghamton 98. But it was edited without the Bootsy Collins bit. I know. How does a mistake like that happen? And did they think we weren't going to notice? It's like the part of Upside Down will now be played by Upside Down from the Bliss (laughs) single in 1998. Like not so fast. Okay. I get that joke because I'm a lifelong Days of Our Lives fan. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. The part of Upside Down 94 will now be played by Upside Down 98. Yeah. Years of life experience has informed the 98 version like we wouldn't notice. 
Like, seriously, how yeah. does a mistake like that happen? Like, someone is just typing upside down into a database. Probably. Like, Tori's computer, and one comes up, and they're like, well, I guess it's that one. Like, do your research, yeah. people. Come on. It's not that hard. That's why they, at all times, need to have at least one of us in the studio. I know. Ridiculous. Just quality control checking. Just fact checking. Just listening. Like, yes, you can release that. That's good. Can you imagine? <laughs> Yeah, I can. We're not kidding. I'm not kidding. I'm not either. <laughs> Get us in that booth. I am available. What is your favorite of the official releases? Just the ones that we played, and we'll obviously have a live section later, but of the ones that we've just gone through, is there any one that you hold especially close to your heart? Yeah, I do. I'm holding the Past the Mission Part 1 Limited Edition close to my heart right now, physical copy. And I think mm. all of those performances are very, very good. And that one in particular is very warm. And now, like, she's been kidnapped, and we might never see her again, so... Yeah, you're right. We never got a remaster of that. Like, Mm-mm. we should have. They're not going to do a 50-year under the Pink Deluxe Edition. And as David pointed out prior to this phone call, they recalled that Deluxe Edition to fix the Waitress and Wrong Band audio issues and did not fix the Upside Down issue. I know. Justice for Upside Down. You know what else I want to see? Like, when someone gets kidnapped as a child and the news does, like, a rendering of what they would look like 20 years later in case someone sees them, I want to see that for (laughs) Upside Down 94. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Um, I was kidnapped as a child, so I get that joke. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. I love that your ability to understand jokes depends entirely on you having experienced. You're like, "Mm -hmm, I've seen Days of Our Lives, so I understand. I get it. Mm, I've heard Upside Down, so I get that reference. So question for you. I find for myself, I hold the 98 version to be my favorite version of the live versions only because she sounded in the conversation leading up to it. She sounds a little tired. She sounds a little like worn down at the end of the tour. To me, at the time that it was released, it felt like someone later in life looking back at their young self and having this song be so closely tied to that relationship that I was in. Mm -hmm. Looking back on it with years distance, there was something so powerful about that to me. So I always, if I'm going to listen to an official live version, it's going to be from the Bliss single. You know what? I get that because like you, (laughs) I've experienced it too. Therefore, I understand (laughs) it. But I remember thinking that in 1998, like at that point, six years removed, a mere six six years removed from Little Earthquake seemed like a lifetime. We were like, oh, such world-weary wisdom, Tori. But now we're 20 plus years (laughs) on from that. And it's like the blink of an eye. I know. It's kind of like now looking back, we kind of lumped those two eras together as part of like the first era. Yeah. But at the time, it felt like years. We felt so much older. Seriously. I agree. It's like, I don't play this one much anymore here you go it was released a month ago (laughs) i know exactly and i've been through so many relationships by that point Uh, (laughs) hoochie woman hoochie (laughs) yeah i agree with that so should we get into the quotes okay there's not many quotes as you'll see throughout the course of this whole b-side season there's not many quotes. She doesn't really talk about the B-sides. Yeah. So We don't have many quotes, so instead we're going to read aloud every single issue of Upside Down Fanzine. Yeah, because it relates. Yeah. So from Upside Down Fanzine, issue one, published by... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> this is from Upside Down Fanzine, issue two, summer 1993. And we've included this. It kind of talks a little bit about what, David? Upside Down? I have a question for you, Eve, before we dive into this quote. Hit me. Did you subscribe to any of these fanzines? I subscribe to Really Deep Thoughts, RDT. 
I had no idea these fanzines existed until probably like the Boys for Pele era. So no, I didn't subscribe to any of them. I don't remember if they coexisted or if Upside Down and Really Deep Thoughts were competing with one another. And if so, do you think RDT came out first and Upside Down was like, huh, what's so amazing about Really Deep Thoughts? Nothing. (laughs) Upside Down is where it's at. Well, I recall Really Deep Thoughts being the official fanzine, right? From her official fan club. I thought so, but obviously she cooperated with Upside Down, too, because she did this interview. Yeah, well, she cooperates with everybody. Yeah. So (laughs) she likes to be agreeable. I recall Really Deep Thoughts. Wasn't that edited by Melissa? Yes, it was. It's like, how many fanzines do you need, right? But then also, like, you need as many as you can get. (laughs) I remember when I discovered the fanzines and I bought them all. You know, there was a period of time where you could back order them before they had sold out. So then that's when I got my fanzines. Why did these fanzine publishers or creators love Upside Down so much? We had Upside Down and Little Blue World. Little Blue World I really liked. What was the other one? Take to the Sky. I, I, I long for the days of a fanzine. I can't believe we're complaining about abundance because now we got nothing. Someone should put out a fanzine. Should we put out a fanzine? This is an audio fanzine. Well, it's an audio fanzine, but people want something they can touch. I guess they could touch me. You can touch but me too. Want... <laughs> they want something that they can hold in their hands while they listen to us. Sometimes they think you want me to touch you. <laughs> the listeners. Maybe we should do a fanzine for tour. Maybe we should do like a tour fanzine. Okay. Coming alongside our tour app. What would we call it? Pokatory? Pokatory? Torimon? Oh, right, 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 right. I'll have to think about it. Yeah, we'll think on it. Um, why don't you start this quote from Upside Down Fanzine, issue two, summer 1993. And it's a very long quote, so we'll split it. We've been taught to be afraid of standing up for ourselves, which is the Inquisition. Having your skin ripped from your body. It wasn't fun back then. We have ways to make you talk, that kind of thing. All of us are a part of this. So how do we shake ourselves out of this? I can only speak for myself, but I'm being challenged every day to have to say, wait a minute, something feels weird. Something's not right. If anybody's trying to control you, something is wrong. That little guy in your head should be shouting, wait a minute, wait, wait, put him in your head. Because anytime somebody is trying to make you feel bad about yourself, something is wrong. You know, all of us dump some of our garbage in other people's yards, and that is not right. That is not fair. And we need to go and take our trash bag, but that's all. We don't have to mow their lawns. That's crossing their boundaries. That is guilt. It's like, okay, I did this. Let me go make amends and take responsibility for what I've done. But then we can get into this thing of feeling guilty, feeling really guilty that we made a mistake. We have to work through this guilt, own up to something, and then go, okay, so I yelled at you. I told you that I didn't mean to yell at you. At the same time, let's look at what's behind it. I'm not going to crawl to give you blood because I yelled at you. So there's a real balance of owning up to when we know we are trying to take another person's choices away. I just try to be more aware of it. When do I put a vibe out on somebody? When am I not understanding? When am I not loving and yet still have boundaries? I know I am feeling good about myself because I don't need someone else to feel good about me. It's okay if they don't feel good about me. I've had some painful falling outs with friends over the years because sometimes I've really been out of line. I wasn't capable of honoring them like I am now, and they were not capable of honoring me either. It worked both ways. When it came down to dealing with it, I've chosen to have joy in my life. It's a choice. You can either be a victim forever or an abuser. We all swing back and forth at times. We kind of choose to hang out on one side of the ship more than the other. The point is I have tried to get 
get out of that pattern. And so very close friends of mine who haven't been able to take responsibility for what has happened in their life blame people. I got tired of being part of the blame. You will find once you choose truth and light, love and responsibility, then you are in command and in control of your own life. You have a polarity when one of you chooses to still be a victim and allow other people to control and blame you, or you can choose to take control. To control what is going to happen now as far as if I am not happy here, I can leave. If I am not being respected here, I can leave, but I have to respect myself first. Only you can do that for you. I like including this here because it really brings context to the idea of being okay when everything is not okay. Mm-hmm. I think you're absolutely right. I was going to say, if we had to summarize this lengthy quote succinctly, <laughs> would we say, you know what? I'm okay when everything's not okay. Done. I also like that she's able, I mean, she's young in her career at this point, but she's not necessarily young. She's got years of wisdom. She's like 28 at this point, right? 29, 28. I like that she's able to accept responsibility about about not being there for someone, about having painful falling outs with friends that were her fault and phrasing it like I wasn't capable of honoring them like I mm. am now. I'm also glad to finally have it confirmed that I'm not responsible for mowing my neighbor's lawn. Yeah, get off my lawn. Quit mowing my lawn. Trim your own bush. Quit trimming my bush. <laughs> Remember when Tori sold a shirt that said trim your bush? America, trim mm. your bush. Not just the random person. She was speaking to the nation. I don't care who it was. It was great. In 2017, I was hoping for some... Well, she kind of did it again with the fake Muse Network, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, she's so political. She loves a scathing pun. <laughs> who doesn't? This is from University Radio Warwick on February 25th, 1994. Steve says, which of your songs is your personal fave? And Tori says, on the new album or? <laughs> or from the very first album as well. Whatever. Um, Upside Down, which was a B-side, I think. She thinks. February 25th, 1994, she's already forgotten. I think we can really probably interpret that to be like, she's really thinking about which song is her favorite. And she's like, Upside Down, I think, not necessarily questioning whether oh, okay. or not Upside Down was a B-side, <laughs> but it still sounds funny. Well, at that point, you know, the little Earthquakes track listing had gone through so many different versions, so she couldn't even remember anymore. Mm -hmm. She's like the one right before Flying Dutchman. Yeah. Learn to fly, I think. Possibly. From the Little Earthquake songbook, 1993... Tori says, sticks, rocks, food, all sundry items came into the fairy donut, including my feet over my head and a little blue girl. Okay, now she's just being quirky. I just love this insight into her mystical creative process where she had that fairy ring. And by that, we're assuming she means when she had blank envelopes and made a circle and had the goal of assigning a song to each envelope. But I like what else came into the circle with her. I'm just imagining, you know, empty bags of takeout strewn across her fairy ring. I love that, actually. It sounds quirky, but it's actually something that really happened. Like she was placing items that felt right in the circle into this fairy donut. Are her feet over her head while she's on her back or are her feet over her head when she's on her stomach, like thinking? I've always pictured a birth. Me too! Because that's my frame of reference for babies being born is in a movie. <laughs> because Sometimes, I was born, so yeah. I get that. I, I get what she's saying. I, I, I understand that because I entered the world. <laughs> right. <laughs> They sometimes like hold a baby by its feet, you know, and like mm, dangle mm -hmm. it upside down. So what you just said, I love the image of what you said. Like she's giving birth to these songs too, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And what's a little blue girl, but like a, I mean, honestly, like a blue girl. I have always in my, I guess we'll get into this in the line by line, but I have always pictured a troubled birth 
with this song and maybe mm-hmm. a baby who was deprived of oxygen or there was a breech right. birth and they kind of, you know, when the baby is finally born, maybe she's a little blue and they're holding it by its feet dangling. That's what I've always pictured. So you've never pictured sad feeling blue. No, I've never pictured sad or a Smurf. I've never pictured a Smurf. I've always pictured sad, like a little blue girl. Never once. Like lit- really? literally blue. Really? Yeah. And I'm the weird one. I didn't say that. Thank God. From Beat Magazine, July 14th, 1994, Tori says, the only regret I ever have is that Upside Down wasn't on Little Earthquakes. This Mm -hmm. must be before she recorded that her only regret was not putting honey on Under the Pink. Yeah, did it take a while for that to sink in? Like, here we are seven months after Under the Pink was released. Did she forget? Did she look at the track list again? And she's like, wait a (laughs) minute. What? It's not on there? You know, sometimes you make decisions later in the evening. You've had some wine. You've had a white claw Mm -hmm. or two. Then you listen back to an episode or an album whatever you're making and you're like i didn't include that god damn it or even worse i did include that god damn it um let's get into the line by line shalls we okay I love to turn my little blue world upside down. I've got a question for you right off the bat. I have an answer. Possibly. Maybe I don't. Do you think she's addressing God like, dear God, I love to turn my little blue world. Please make me a bird and make me fly far. Or do you think it's like, oh, God, I'd love to turn my little blue world upside down. I think it's, oh, God, personally. Oh, God. That's the second one. Yeah, which is like just a phrase. It's not like, dear God, it's meme Tori. Agreed. But I just wanted to make sure. God, I love to turn. What do you think she means? If you think she means little blue girl, as in a blue girl, like the color blue, then what do you think she means by little blue world? Sad world or like the earth? If you look at the earth from space, it's like a little blue ball. Mm-hmm. It's like an orbital ball from the fringes of like the Milky Way. Ball. Like, what does it look like? Well, I'm glad you asked. It looks like a little blue ball. What do you think? How do you read this? I read it as someone who either... A, likes to defy convention, or B, someone who can't help but create chaos in their world to avoid looking at what's really going on. I agree with the second interpretation. I've always heard it as, God, I really just love to fuck my shit up, don't I? Yeah. Like, I can really make a mess of things. Mm -hmm. And it's important that I love to turn my little blue world is in there. It's like, not only can I make a mess of things, but it seems like that's all that I like to do. It's like, I just love to create conflict. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm, I'm kind of serious when I say that. There are people, and I'm sure you've met and or been them, who seem to be running away from something, whether that be their own material or their own feelings. And so to avoid doing that, they create as much outward chaos as they can. Like if you always have a problem to solve or an emergency, then you don't really have to do any inner work. I do know people who create conflict and have been a person who has created conflict not because i was afraid to look at myself necessarily maybe maybe you're right maybe that was ultimately the reason just this lack of self-awareness possibly Mm -hmm. you're probably right sometimes i also feel the reason is that they don't or we don't as i've been that person it's not that we don't want to look at ourselves is that we don't know 
to look at ourselves mm. or that we don't know that this is all coming from inside. There's something wrong inside. And so maybe even the God in that first line is the discovery of like, because you have that moment when you finally see yourself, then you have to fix yourself, right? Well, you don't have to. Well, you don't have to, but it's a, it suddenly becomes a choice. At that point that you realize what you're doing and you see what you're doing, you can either fix yourself or you can continue to operate the way you've been operating, but then you're an abuser, right? Mm -hmm. As Tori had said. So I feel like maybe even the God, just that simple opening word is the discovery of the moment. Like maybe she's seeing her that she does this because then the next line. Inside my head, the noise. Chatter, 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 chatter. Inside my head, the noise, it's kind of not necessarily justifying why she's living in chaos, but that it's also like coming from inside, right? That it kind of explains or correlates the inside to the outside. Her outside world is upside down because inside her head is all of this noise, all of this just like discord, this cacophony of emotions. Yeah, and to me that sort of indicates this train of negative thought or self-doubt, like this constant kind of tape-running inner monologue of maybe not being good enough, thinking that there's something inherently wrong with you, that you're damaged somehow, maybe. I love that. I love that. Yeah, it's just like all of these things that you tell yourself like the tapes running in your head yeah which leads us to i'm afraid i'll always be still coming out of my mother upside down like from the jump there was something wrong with me oh interesting I will live my life deprived of oxygen. I will live my life a breech birth. Like I will always feel the opposite of what I'm supposed to feel. Mm -hmm. And that everything I do goes back to that birth moment. I kind of thought that too, in terms of, I maybe you've never put words to it, but that's how I saw that line is I'm afraid that I'll always be fucked up or something will always be exactly. wrong with me. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But I hadn't tied that to the fact that, of course, if you are a breech birth and you are deprived of oxygen and you are coming out upside down, you're going to be tinted a little blue. Mm -hmm. So there is that double meaning in the little blue in this line. Don't you love to turn this little blue girl upside down? Who is the you she's speaking to? Is she speaking to herself? Yeah, to me, that speaks to, again, this person who consciously or unconsciously creates chaos in their life or gets into unhealthy relationships with people who mistreat them or maybe even borderline abuse them somehow. I think you're right. But I think it is consciously when you say either consciously or unconsciously. I think she's saying, I know you love to do this to me. Like it is a conscious choice that you're making because this next line. Oh, I know you love to do I think it's partially to herself, too. You love to be the victim, almost. Mm -hmm. But also to the situations that that feeling has allowed her to put herself into. Because of that desire for chaos or that unrest within herself, she is willingly, by not looking at it, put herself into situations where other people are then turning her upside down. Mm -hmm. And they love it and she loves it. And it's this endless cycle of like... Unhealthy relationships and picking the wrong people. Yeah. Agreed. Yes. And I think the following line kind of acknowledges that. Like, this person is also damaged. They're shattered. But my heart says, you've been shattered, 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 shattered. 
like inside I can tell that you are the same. Mm-hmm. In much the same way I'm afraid I'll always be coming out of my mother upside down, you're still a boy coming out of your mother upside down. And you're as fucked up as I am and that we're both still playing out these childhood cycles or these cycles that we learned from birth or that we've always been playing out. Yes, exactly right. Isn't this a great love song? Beautiful. Doesn't that make sense? Uh-huh. That's like having She's Your Cocaine as your love song because you both love to do cocaine. Mm, and shave your legs. It makes no sense. We've just come out of the verse where she's seemingly speaking to someone else. Don't you love to turn this little blue girl upside down, which ties into I know you're still a boy. So she's obviously singing to the other, the male in her life. Now to this section, when you're going to stand on your own, is she still singing to him? There seems to be a very clear person she's speaking to is what I mean. Because a lot of times the you can be her in a song. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times she does seem to be singing to herself like crucify. Why do you crucify yourself, Tori? Like, obviously, that's to her, but is this to the man? Bear with me. As we so often do, I'm going to say that I think it's both. Okay. I was hoping you'd say that. Mm, I'm glad to deliver on that for you. But I think sometimes, again, when you don't want to look at yourself, you criticize. Well, I guess we get there. You always find my faults faster than you find your own. Like, maybe in this case, she's doing it. And with, like, a little bit of arrogance, she's saying to this other person, when you're going to stand on your own, but she's really asking that of herself. It's so easy to pinpoint other people's flaws. Yeah. Even if their flaw is finding your flaws, you can find that flaw in them rather than finding it in yourself. Right. And you know, there's the conventional bit of wisdom too, that the thing that annoys you or that you take exception to in other people is usually something that you know about yourself that you don't like. You know what I hate about you, David, is that you're so devastatingly handsome. Oh my God. And so funny. (laughs) You're such a good (laughs) podcast editor. God. I've always paired this line, when you're going to stand on your own, with when you're going to love you as much as I do. Tell me why. I just think they both have this element of when are you going to see in yourself all the things that I see in you? When are you going to know that you're okay and that you're able to stand out there on your own? To me, there's a similar sentiment here. Regardless of who's delivering the line, there's this wish from the other person that like, I think you're amazing. Why don't you see that? So I take this line and this whole verse to be a back and forth between the two partners. And I find when you're going to stand on your own to be very aggressive. And now bear with me, please, if you don't mind. If she's singing this to herself, then yes, I feel like this could be an earnestly said line. But the earnestness in the line is inauthentic because I feel like she's still speaking to the man, the other. When are you going to stand on your own? Completely ignoring the fact that she's not. She's ignored the whole first verse. Like she's also loves to throw things in chaos, but this is now about him. I say the world is sick. You say this. I say this. You say this. It's like this back and forth between them, right? You see, you always find my faults faster than you find your own. But that's her finding a fault in him that she's not seeing in herself. So it's like this weird mirror back and forth of what I think is like the chaos between the two playing out. Mm -hmm. So therefore, I don't think it's like when you're going to love you as much as I do. I think it's more like when you're going to fix yourself, babe, without realizing she needs to fix herself. I think you're right. And I see that for sure. Like younger me kind of paired those two lines together, I think. But I think that's good, though. 
But I think you're absolutely right in that this is a back and forth dialogue between two specific people. Let's read it as a back. Let's do this little play, David, and let's see if we can mine. Okay. Yes. When are you going to stand on your own? The world is sick. What does that make us, darling? I don't know, but you always find my faults faster than you find your own. The world is getting rid of her demons. (laughs) What have you been smoking? Interesting. (laughs) I don't know that that really revealed anything, but I'm glad we did it. My only regret is that we did that and that upside down (laughs) wasn't on Little Earthquakes. My only regret is that we did that. (laughs) I think we should just clip that out and make it its own little radio play. Sure. Well, you should have done it in that 50s, like, private investigator accent. Yeah, or, like, where are the worlds? What have you been smoking? What have you been smoking, baby? Yeah, see? (laughs) She was the kind of dame who always find my faults faster than she found her own, see? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I love it. We should do that. Uh, Come up and see me sometime. Either way, it's kind of wrestling with this tumultuousness that is them, right? And we end with... Well, I dreamed, I dreamed, I dreamed. I loved a black boy, my daddy would scream. I feel like we pivot out of that conversation at this point. Really? Tell me why. I feel like after What Have You Been Smoking, there's a break. And that the song kind of spins off in another direction. And we're not in the midst of that conversation anymore. And that we're sort of being drawn back into the past. Interesting. Or because this relationship has become so tumultuous, she's kind of escaping into fantasy. I love that she uses the word dreamed to escape from it all and repeats it. I dreamed, I dreamed, I dreamed, I loved black boy. Who is the black boy? I feel like we know the answer to that. And she talks about another student at the Peabody Conservatory who she had a crush on, who she kind of likened to Jimi Hendrix, right? This is from All Music Zine, October 1999. Tori says, There was this African-American guy at the Peabody in 1968. It was a funny time, 1968. He was about 17 or 16, and he was sitting there playing some Hendrix stuff at the piano. I think he was really into McCoy Tyner also. I would just sit there because I was kind of in love with him, but I was five and a half and he was 17 and black in 1968. I mean, it was all going on. Even though my uncle was black, Uncle Bobby, he's dead now, but he was my father's best friend. It's a whole nother thing to see your five and a half year old daughter in love with this Jimi Hendrix-like jazzer. I think his name was Reggie. I can't remember. I didn't know Reggie for very long because something happened. He went off, but he had such an influence in my life. I have no idea where Reggie is, but his sense of playing, I would watch him with the left hand. This could be in between classes, but I was drinking it in going, okay, this guy is onto something here. I've never really heard a mixture of these things. I don't know who that Jimmy cat is. I'm five years old. You've got to remember, I'm getting it together in my brain, but it had an impact on me because this guy at the piano was sort of showing me. I think that was a huge influence on why I started studying Jimmy Page. I'd go to guitar players to bring it to my need because I didn't want to steal. Should we try to find Reggie? Well, David, we actually found Reggie, and he has no memory of a young Myra Ellen Amos. And what's even more interesting is he doesn't even know who Tori Amos is. So it just goes to show how wide your sphere of influence can be, how much you can impact someone's entire existence and never in your whole life even know about it. My daddy 
her dad, she talks about being a civil rights activist in the 60s. Why would her daddy scream? She does say it's like a different thing to have a friend who's African-American in the 60s and then to have your daughter, your five. Well, I think it's to have your five-year-old daughter be in love with anybody is something to scream about, if you ask me. Right. I mean, she was also in love with Jesus at age five. So <laughs> start high, son of God. That's where I started. Ended there too. The Jesus that my grandmother hung in the foyer of our of my childhood home. He was sexy. He had was long he? hair. It can go either yeah. way. Jesus can either be sexy or spooky. That's, oh, that's not true. true. Usually those things are the same to me. So never mind. I love the danger of Christ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so she pivots here into a different timeline or to a different thought. Why is this thought coming to her now while she's arguing, going back and forth with this person? I almost think, again, kind of, let's say, looking at this legacy of mistakes or feeling wrong or failing somehow, like she goes back to the Peabody, where she failed to deliver on the expectations that other people had of her. interesting. And like kind of the genesis of the chaos, maybe? Mm Mm-hmm. Like the root of it? Mm Mm-hmm. How do you take this line, my daddy would scream? I have two thoughts on it. And I'm curious to know which side you fall on. Is it my daddy would scream? Like, I'm remembering the times where he would scream. Or if my daddy knew that I loved a black boy, my daddy would scream. No, I think it's the second one that you offered. That he was... Oh, that if he knew? Yes. He would definitely, like, throw a fit? Yes. And maybe that's what she liked about it. Maybe that's got to... That has to be something part of what she liked about it. Oh, I'm sure Tori always likes to provoke, well, the world, but specifically her father. Specifically, poor victimized Ed. Yes. Yeah, I feel like it's also, like, if my daddy knew the secrets that I'm holding, he would definitely not be okay with it. And we repeat the refrain... So nothing's changed or has something changed. I think in this case, she is talking about herself. Yeah. And again, this sort of seeking out chaos, disordered relationships, maybe. Yeah. Any kind of touch I think is better than none, even upside down. I think she gets to the root of it all, which is like, I can sort it out and work on myself and only seek out a healthy relationship and always be alone. But at this point in my life, I need some kind of connection or any kind of touch. And even if it's fucked up, even if it's not the healthiest, I can't be alone. I have to be with somebody. Yeah, this line, for some reason, really kind of floors me. Me too. And it's delivered kind of casually, but it feels really heavy to me. And to me, sort of, there's like an element of sexual abuse to me about it. Really? I never saw that, but tell me more. Well, I can't help but think of Tori talking about after her, you know, violent encounter documented me in a gun, that she would probably, you know, term her sex life as dysfunctional and that she Mm -hmm. had some repair work to do and that maybe she sought out unhealthy relationships. So to me, there's just an element of that, like any kind of connection, any kind of physical touch, even if it's damaged somehow or borderline abusive, like that's the kind of thing I'm seeking out right now because it's better than nothing, maybe. Yeah. So there's one quote, it's kind of a deep cut in a German magazine from the late 90s, 1999, I think, or 98, where Tori, and I think it's the only time she's mentioned an incident of childhood sexual abuse that she experienced. And to me, that line is kind of referencing that for me. Mm. And maybe a child who's kind of starved for affection 
or attention or physical touch and maybe they're receiving it in an unhealthy way but they're kind of conflicted about it or trying to make sense of that experience i don't know i just feel like in this one line there's a lot going on i feel like this line i mean although masterfully constructed in terms of the phrasing within the song and it just kind of slides right in there very unassumingly perfectly placed with a rhythm I do feel like it's a much heavier line than Mm -hmm. you're expecting or that you can easily sing it away, you know, because it's just kind of, it fits into the melody, but it is pretty heavy line. What you said about the incident surrounding Mina Gunn, when you're coming off of a violent encounter like that, you have to be sort of, and she has talked about like having to replicate that in kind of weird dysfunctional ways Mm -hmm. you know that she wouldn't be able to have a meaningful sexual connection with anybody that it would have to be like either we are fucking or like nothing you know it's like it's not we can't like make love Mm -hmm. you know just be together it has to be like in some ways violent Mm -hmm. and possibly that could be reenacting or that could be manifesting from that incident Mm -hmm. and also very much like i don't want to be alone and i can't be alone so i would rather i mean like i'm willing to put up with anything any kind of touch and in my life i've felt to speak from personal experience in my most chaotic times when you don't deal with your crap the need to be with someone is much stronger because you don't have to be alone with yourself because you don't want to be alone with yourself yeah like and even though i've been in situations where that person is clearly not good for you it's all you got I really think everything that you just so succinctly offered, and I really appreciate you sharing that too, really summarizes what's going on in this song. Like, I think that's it. That's everything that's happening in the song right there and that she's addressing it finally or coming to that realization or acknowledging it. I understand the song because I've had the same experiences. (laughs) I understand music because I've listened to it. I understand music because I have ears. (laughs) But you see... But you see, I'm tangled up. I mean, to work through all of this takes some time and to unknot all of these problems, you know, to smooth yourself out. At least she's by the end of the song acknowledging that she is tangled up. I don't know why this whole verse, but even that line specifically, but you see I'm tangled up makes me so desperately sad. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Just the idea of feeling completely twisted. Yeah, and kind of questioning your own decisions and maybe feeling like at certain points they've been made by someone else and having that moment of like, why am I doing this? Like, where is this coming from? Like, what wound am I acting from? But also having that maybe like a little bit of compassion for yourself, but like, but see, I'm tangled up, but I want to figure this out. Be patient with me, self. I like that. I think you're right on. Got a kitten, 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 kitten in my head. Got a kitten, 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 kitten in my hair. Should we call someone? Get out of there. <laughs> Somewhere underneath this tangle is the heart of me, is my warm little diamond, if you hear what I'm saying. That somewhere under this mess is something valuable. I'm going to need you to be more explicit. No, I got it. <laughs> I didn't want to have to say it. Ooh, Virginia. I didn't want to have to say the word Virginia. <laughs> I was going to say, ooh, Virginia, you can't remember your name. Shame, shame, I know your name. Okay, all right, okay, I get where you're going. But I guess to me, not quite as far down that path as you've gone. To me, that just symbolizes like... <laughs> you've gone too far. <laughs> some Too far, Eve, too far. Some kind of innocence or that there's still a kernel left within you that hasn't been sort of defiled or tainted by the world that mm-hmm. you're not permanently damaged and you can be redeemed somehow. Mm. 
a kind of alternate reading too for this line, which I used to think, which is the idea that there's an actual kitten in her hair. Like at this point in time, her hair is wild, it's unkempt, it's tangled, that there's something sweet and cute making it that way. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? That it's out of her control kind of in a way? I don't know. I honestly don't know. Or that her hair is so much or so big or so wild that you can't see everything in it. It's hard to hide a hundred girls in there. Not that hard though. Just got a kitten in there. <laughs> what else? A boot, tricycle, license plate. Maybe I did go too far, but I feel like the sentiment is right, even in your interpretation and mine, which is that underneath it all, there's something valuable or something innocent, like you said. Yeah. Cincinnati, like the wind, it's the only thing we can seem to turn down. What the flavor? Why does she suddenly sing about Cincinnati? I'm not sure there's any significance to Cincinnati specifically as a city, but to me it becomes, in this moment, she needs a mantra or something to focus on in all this chaos. And whether it's a word that's pleasing to her, it's like something in this chaotic world that can't be sort of changed or defiled, that represents purity or goodness somehow, if that makes any sense. I feel like this is the first time probably in Tori's catalog that... I felt she was impenetrable. Little Earthquakes being a diary, quote unquote, being written in diary form is very clear. Most of the songs are very clear. There's moments where it's obscured or a little metaphorical, like especially in Girl, Pillow to My Dots, that whole like bridge. But this is the first time where I felt like there is something that I'm missing here because I can't accept that it's simply that she likes the word or has the mantra of Cincinnati. I feel like there's something I'm missing. And 30 years later, however long it's been, I still feel like there's something I'm missing. Mm. You? Maybe. If you think the city of Cincinnati actually has some specific meaning to her that we'll never know, it's possible. I want the answer, David. I don't know that I can speak to why she would make that choice, but it seems to represent something unchangeable to her, like a constant. It's the only thing that we can't seem to turn upside down. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to have to chalk it up to I'll never know. It could just be as simple as it is on the page that this particular word is the only thing, something as minuscule as this word is literally the only thing that we can't fuck up together. Mm -hmm. We fucked up everything else together, except for this one word. Mm -hmm. Um, And more importantly, I like that because we have fucked everything else up. So I'm going to that word. No, I hold it similarly to Barbados. Oh, interesting. Like something you focus on to get okay. Now we're getting somewhere through something. Now we're getting somewhere. Okay, because this is why I can't accept that it's just as simple as the word on the page. I like the word, and that's why it's in the song. But Barbados is a goal in the in that song. Uh huh. Barbados is a mantra, like you said, but it's also a goal here. If I can make it to Cincinnati or here, you don't know what's going on in this particular narrator's relationship. So maybe this is a focus. I can see it that way. It's like if getting out of this situation and possibly going to Cincinnati, if you want to mm-hmm. be literal, but it doesn't even have to be literal. Mm-hmm. Literal. It just is a goal that the narrator is using. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now I see it, David. Thank you. And who knows? You know, we don't know what is ripped from her personal life or what is a real conversation. It's possible that there was a confrontation or a difficult conversation back and forth happening. And there was like a postcard or a poster on the wall with the word Cincinnati that she was looking at. 
that. Who knows? Right. Or maybe this particular tumultuous relationship, he ended up moving to Cincinnati and that's the only thing that stopped them from fucking each other up some more was that mm-hmm. he had to leave. Mm-hmm. Who? You never know. You don't know what's invention. You don't know what's pulled from life. Oh, but I certainly feel better. <laughs> she didn't just put that in there for no reason. No. I couldn't accept that. At least he didn't move to Intercourse, Pennsylvania. <laughs> I found the secret to life. There's two readings on this that I brought up in the last yep. version of this episode. And I want to mm-hmm. I want to hear from you what oh you feel. Oh boy, here we go. There's team A, I which hate is, when there's team A and B. Hate it. There's team A says that we never learned the secret. I found the secret to life, and because I found that secret, I am now okay when everything is not okay. Or there's team B, I found the secret to life, and that secret is that I'm okay when everything is not okay. Team B. I'm team A. I'm team... Are you serious? You know why? Because team B... Do you just like to be a contrarian? No, I created contrariness. I created okay, conflict. Mm, I turned this so, world upside yeah, down, I David. I actually made up uh, contrariness, so I guess you could say that I'm um, a genius and I decided that. Uh, <laughs> I'm the one who turned this little blue world upside down. Mm-hmm. Because Team B makes no sense to me. I found the secret to life, and the secret is to be okay when everything is not okay. Okay, yes. but how do you get there? Yeah, fine, but how do you get there? Well, this that's what you gotta figure out. Exactly, and that's the secret to life. That part that you gotta figure out is the secret to life. It's not that to be okay when everything is not okay. That's not the secret. That's the result. Yes, it is. No. no that's the result. The secret to getting through life with a strong foundation and core is doing sit-ups and being okay when everything is not okay. <laughs> no, but that's not that's the like secret. That's like another way of saying the only thing you can control in life is the way you react to something. Fine, but how do you get there? Because clearly she spent this entire song not there. The answer will be provided in a different song. Perhaps the answer to the question lies <laughs> in the question. Ooh, interesting. What if police me is the answer? That's the secret to life, to police yourself. You can't control anything but how you react to something. You gotta police yourself, baby. Line them up like I agree so with you dears. a million percent that you can only control yourself and your reaction to things. But the narrator spends this entire song in turmoil talking about how she loves to fuck shit up and she's with someone who loves to fuck shit up with her and they're fucking each other up because of it and then suddenly I found the secret to life and I'm okay when everything is not okay. How do we get there? And that to me is the secret and that's why I'm team A because she's not revealing the secret or at least she's not revealing the secret in this line or that the whole song is the secret but I'm okay when everything is not okay is the result. Is, is once I found the secret to life that I have to work through my mess or that I have to untangle myself or that I love to turn my little blue world upside down. That's my secret to my life. The secret to life is that I've, I've been responsible and now I'm okay when everything is not okay because I can see myself. The secret of life is to look at yourself, whatever the secret is. So I'm team A. Team B makes no sense to me. Nope, I am team B. I know you are, but why? Because I already said it. I think you can be your own best sense of support and not get so wrapped up in what other people are doing or thinking of you. And sometimes you just have to tell yourself, even in the worst situations, no matter what happens, if the worst happens, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. It's interesting because in my team A, that could be the answer. Team B could be the answer in team A, but it's not stated. 
Mm. Does that make sense? Yes. I have another secret to reveal to you. Oh, gosh. Or a question about a potential secret. <laughs> okay. What if Upside Down 2 is really Upside Down 3 and Police Me is Upside Down 2? What if it's a trilogy? That's the real secret. Mm-hmm. turn and we turn our little blue world upside down so after the bridge do you feel like they're still turning their little blue world upside down or is this an indictment across the world like that we one. all love to turn our little blue world upside yes down. we all incite chaos unnecessarily sometimes and that's kind of what this whole verse is right mm-hmm. chatter 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 it says girl you're all the same mm-hmm. still coming out of your we're all the same we're all we all do this sometimes and that's okay that's the secret to life i'm gonna stick with that we all do this and once we learn that we all can be this way then i'm okay when everything is not okay i learned that there's nothing wrong with me that i am just like everybody else and that i'm working it out and that's my secret to life thank you I found, I actually did find The Secret to Life just now. Congratulations. Thanks. Any final words on this song? That was a lot. I feel cleansed. Me too. I'm glad we did that. I feel like this has always been my biggest regret was to not have done line by lines for the Little Earthquakes season, but particularly this song. Well, you've addressed your biggest regret in life. Where do we go from here? It's all just party time? I guess so. You know, it's interesting because... I'm going to go back to having chosen this song to be our song, quote unquote, from me and my first boyfriend, Dwayne. I feel like it chose you, but okay. I think, exactly, it chose us, but it's not a bad love song. I'm going to, justice for Upside Down as a love song, because I was very young at the time, and he was very young, although he was a little older than me because I was into older men, quote unquote. The point is... It was a it was kind of a tumultuous relationship, as all teen relationships are, right? Or can be. Most teen relationships can be. And it was you know, my first, you know, it was very, very meaningful to me and very special, but it was my first, you know? And I felt like looking back on it, we all are like that. And we're all kind of wild and hormonal, impulsive. And in some ways, it's the perfect teen love song. I think that's true, especially when I think of us as young Tory fans kind of all finding each other and maybe feeling like outcasts or outsiders and damaged in one way or another. I feel like the next time she plays a song and we're all at a show together, we needed to hold hands across the aisle for girl, we're all the same. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we should walk into Tory shows like The Craft, where they're all like arms interlinked, Mm -hmm. where it's like, we're all the same. Still coming out of our mothers. Upside down. Yeah. I thought this was going to go to like where we're this giant line of people with our arms linked and like we clothesline Tori somehow. <laughs> no, we just clothesline everybody in front of us in the rush on our way to the barricades. Mm-hmm. It's happened before. So many people were clotheslined during the beekeeper. But this time it's a concerted effort. Uh-huh. God, even though we've just talked through it, I have so many questions for you that I would like to ask right now. Question one, what is your favorite lyrical moment? Oh my gosh, any kind of touch I think is better than none, even upside down. Me too. 
Yeah, it's just so beautifully phrased and it fits the rhyme scheme or it fits the pattern in the music, but changes the, it's like an actual sentence, right? Whereas opposed to before it's been usually just a repetition of the first line. God, I love to turn my little blue world upside down. God, I love to turn my little blue world upside down. Don't you love to turn this little blue girl upside down? I know you love to turn this little blue girl upside down. Now it's God, I love to turn this little blue girl upside down. Any kind of touch, I think, is better than none even upside. It just is such a surprise, and it fits right in. It's so naked in a way. I agree, and for all of those reasons, I find it to be devastating. Yeah, so much. It devastates me to be naked. (laughs) But you're devastating when you're naked. (laughs) Oh, thanks. Mm. That's your favorite lyrical moment? Yes, it is. And I have another question for you. Maybe two questions. Oh. Or a question 1A and 1B. Get to it. (laughs) Can you imagine a world in which this song actually was on Little Earthquakes? And how would you feel about that? It's a completely alternate reality to have this on Little Earthquakes. However, if it had always been there, I feel like it would fit right in. It would fit right in. I would like to see this. I I mean, there's no song I would kick off Little Earthquakes, honestly, with possibly the exception of Mina Gunn, though it's so pivotal to that album and her success and, you know, the world as we know it. So it's, if you take off Mina Gunn, the world as we know it changes. And who knows? I could be six foot two, 165 pounds. It could (laughs) be a great world. But but it would fit right in on the album if it happened to be there. But yeah. Okay. So all else being equal, if tracks one through 12 were sequenced the way they are now, where would you place Upside Down? I would have to put it maybe after China before Leather Mm. or after Leather before Mother. That's my answer. After Leather before Mother? Yes. You're probably right. Good placement. All right. And follow up. Why do you think it wasn't on the album? Do you think this was her choice? Well, David, I actually uncovered a bit of audio from a live performance in which she explains why it's not on the album. Roll it, Oliver. This uh, B-side time. This one didn't get on the record. It's really funny. I think you'll appreciate this. In my little place that I was living in when I was putting this record together, I made these envelopes like a fairy ring. And um, people would come in and out and they'd get shot if they walked in there. They had to get away from that. Because I was deciding I had 15 songs and only X amount could go on. So they were deciding who wanted to come and who wanted to use something else. This was the hardest one not to get on the record because um, the reason it didn't was because the very last song was written, me and a gun, the very final one to get on. And uh, this one just said, you know, I'll go somewhere else and I'll hang out and I'll come and play whenever you want me to. It's the sweetest vibe, this song. So I played as much as I can just because, um, you know, it's one of my favorite people this song. Mm. It's on a few B-sides, oh, the import section. I think it just kind of worked out that way, mm. that it had to go, you know, and she maybe had committed to having 12 songs only. And like, let's be honest, when you're mixing an album, you also, especially when because it was also released on vinyl, you're also kind of trying to make sure that side A matches side B in terms of the length of the pressing of the vinyl. So there's a lot. Whereas, like, if you're pressing it for CD, you can have 15 tracks and they don't have to, like, split evenly down the middle. Mm -hmm. I think it was just a series of unfortunate events. Mm -hmm. But I think this is the genesis, too, of her thought that her favorite songs are the B-sides. 
Yeah, I kind of feel like it was not her decision and that there was some push and pull and that she had to compromise a little bit and that Little Earthquakes, more than any of her other albums, or actually her only album, the track listing was dictated by the label, more so than Tori. And I think this got kicked off and it was coming together and they were trying to balance out the album, not only for length, as you mentioned, but sonically in terms of sentiment, looking at commercial singles, I think they were like, yeah, we want like a ballad, something more accessible. How about China? And she kind of had China that she'd written earlier, but we know that was kind of a late addition, like Me and a Gun in China were the last added mm-hmm. to the album, I think. So maybe this got kicked off. Mm. Uh, you're right. I want to live in a world where the record executives are just, they think this is such a profane song. You got a what in your hair? Take it off. <laughs> Take it off or get slapped with a parental advisory. We're on to you, Amos. Not so fast, Amos. Um, should we listen to Yanta? Okay. quintessential Tory. It's warm and comforting, but also melancholy. I was going to say those exact words, warm and comforting. Mm -hmm. Just that riff, that opening melody. Mm -hmm. What's the perfect season during which to listen to this song? I love that we both just got mesmerized for over a minute of we just really like did. listening. <laughs> Fall, autumn. What about you? Yeah. Autumn or winter, definitely gray and kind of overcast. that the music here or the playing or the piano itself is sort of this representation of this world just kind of turning and turning in chaos Mm -hmm. it's just this like spinning and spinning of this like repetitive phrase with moments of clarity like right there Mm mm-hmm That the shatter, shatter, and chatter parts also sound like musical tumbling to me. Mm-hmm. Like we're all actually like kind of flipping or becoming inverted in that moment. That 
was like the wild playing that I loved to get from Tori. Mm -hmm. Those moments of those bursts of just like abandon. Maybe we should listen closely. We might get the secret to life. She puts it in the background vocals. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The secret is police me, police yourself. (laughs) When you're okay, when everything is not okay, you can be a brightly colored person. Oh, (laughs) I would like to be a slutty goth. Done. My whole life. There's no resolution either, and the only resolution is that it just stops, right? Mm-hmm. The music. Yeah, it's like a question hanging in the air almost. What's your favorite musical moment, Eve? God. I'm super fond of the intro. I mean, it is like a warm blanket, and it is super comforting because the song means so much to me that every time I hear it, there's it's impossible for me to hear that and not just like instantly go back to being a, a young Tori Amos fan where she's everything to me. It's impossible for me not to go back there when I hear that. So I would have to qualify that refrain or that motif as being my favorite musical moment. It's probably one of my favorite musical moments in all of Tori's catalog, to be frank. But I also really enjoy those moments of clarity, the chatter, 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 or the shatter, 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 shattered, or Mm. the kitten, 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 kitten in my hair. I love those. I love those. I love it all. (laughs) What about you? I'd have to go with the piano after both time when she says when everything and she like there's a little musical moment before she says is not okay. There's something that really just tugs at my heartstrings with that. Yeah, like that little change at the end. Mm -hmm. Like she's almost kind of trying to catch her breath or trying to like hold back the tears. Mm. Do you feel that way in that spot in those moments? I'm holding back my tears. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that could be the resolution, the quiet acceptance of it. Something's changed there clearly in the structure. Mm. You're right. Oh, those are such good moments. Have you requested the song live? Have I? Were you a girl at a coffee shop in 1998? (laughs) Yes. Yes, I did request the song, not in Binghamton 98. I did request this on the Native Invader tour in 2017. That was the first time you requested it? Yeah, it was the first time because by the time I started touring, my relationship with Dwayne wasn't at the forefront of my life. So even though this song was super warm to me and super important to me, it wasn't something I needed her to play to like work through that relationship or anything like that had long been gone or Mm. been done. But when he passed away in 2016, you know, that was the first tour. And I really wanted to hear it in tribute to him. And I explained that to her and I explained just like everything about it. And she played that song along with Upside Down 2, which I suddenly in the moment understood why they're connected. But don't ask me now. Ask me when we get to Upside Down 2. (laughs) Okay. That shouldn't be too far away. We have to wait until 2017, just like you did. You have to give it some time. Hopefully it won't take us 25 years to get there like it took her. No guarantees. 
Have you ever requested the song? No, I've never requested any song. Ever? No, I'm not greedy. Just kidding. She's not a jukebox. <laughs> I've requested a couple songs in my day. And gotten them. Just one. You said that this song is not in your top ten. No. <laughs> Don't say it like <laughs> <Sorry>. that. <laughs> Rude. Um, is it in your top 20? Mm, certainly not. Top 30? No. Top 40? No. Top 50? Uh, maybe. I don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> Just be okay when everything is not okay. I don't think that I can. That's not my secret to my life. <laughs> so please head over and support Yanta on his page. That's patreon.com slash Yanta. And if you like sheet music in general, I want to give a shout out to our friend Paul Roy's page, figuratoryout.com. It is an archive of more than 20 years of the Figuratoryout listserv on Yahoo groups that Paul Roy was the admin for. He took all of those transcriptions and put them up online, figuratoryout.com. You have to become a member, though it's free to become a member. And the reason you have to be a member is because those transcriptions were originally behind the listserv wall and he wants to keep them private as they were intended for the community so head over to figuratoryout.com become a member and you'll have access to a million one million transcriptions at least maybe two million On the line, we have a super fan of Upside Down, and I'm really excited to geek out with our fandom of this song. Her name is Amber, and she's a supporter and a friend. Hi, Amber. Hey, how are you? I'm great. Let's talk Upside Down. Tell me how you discovered Tori and what it is about this song. Tell me everything. <laughs> um, I first discovered Tori, I think, I'm pretty sure it's like eighth grade, and um, I had an older sister, and kind of through her and a boyfriend of hers, I got Boys for Pele. It just kind of blew my mind. And then from there, I had to get everything that I could get my hands on. And then that's how I, uh, I'm trying to remember. I must have gotten, you know, the single that had Upside Down on it. And then you fell in love with the song instantly? I'm trying to remember. So I have a very specific story to Upside Down. Um, I liked it right away. I think at, in the beginning, that first year, I liked everything. But I have this specific memory. I must have been 16 because I was driving. And I had gotten in a fight with my mom. And, you know, as a 16-year-old, everything was very dramatic. And I had to, like, you know, go drive and leave the house. I don't remember anymore what the fight was about. But um, I had, like, driven away and went to go talk to one of my friends about how upset I was. And then when I got back in the car, right when I turned it on, it was the part in Upside Down where she says, I'm okay when everything is not okay. And it was just, it's that moment I think that all of us as fans have had where you're like, she's singing right to me. Yeah. <laughs> so since then, I'm just like, I love this song. It's my song. Do you find that as a mantra that that helps you? I'm okay when everything is not okay? I do. And I think, honestly, I can relate to that because I think even when life gets crazy, I'm able to maintain, even if it's like somewhat of a facade, I'm able to just keep going and get through it until I really am okay. Oh, I love that. Yeah, we'll get through it. The other thing I've always kind of thought about this song um, is I think it's like Tori at her most Tori. 
just and I think that line especially like I think if there is if you could pick one lyric to any song of hers that like sums up everything that she's about I feel like that lyric sums up just who she is and her whole messaging and I think what I like about this song too is just the backstory of it how it was part of the package that was rejected for little earthquakes but then has become like a fan favorite I think that just really speaks to who she is when I like go through the lyrics like the kitten in my hair in Cincinnati line it's like that's kind of her silly and playful but then it you get to the bridge where it's just like oh but now it's like just going to cut you right you know to your core so it's just like her ability to be both those things and I think also too um, the song showcases just like how great she is as a composer as a pianist a lyricist a vocalist like it's just a beautiful song it really shows shows off her talent when that first riff plays, that beginning of the song, I always feel like there's just a warmness that comes over me, like a someone's giving me a hug. There's yeah. that's a real feeling. It does. It's just like I love I love that opening riff too. It's just beautiful. It like it does. It just has a great feeling to it. And I don't I guess I just think it's story I miss story and like that's her being on brand, like yeah. the lyrics to it, like it's just her. I couldn't really think of another song that the message is more what she's about and who she is to her fans. Like when I think of maybe like, I don't really know what the song's about, to be honest. I don't know. Like, was she born breach? I guess I'll find out. <laughs> but, <laughs> Not that like, I know of. I don't think she I've was. I always wondered, like, are you born upside down? But it kind of, to me, it seems like maybe you had a, <laughs> a tragic start in life. And it's sort of just that story, too. I think most of her fans relate to her because they feel maybe a little bit like they were an outsider at some point in life or maybe not like the cool kid. It has that message of, like, maybe you see the world in a different way, but that's what draws us in. That's what draws her fans in, I think. Um, I want to blow your mind, and maybe this won't blow your mind, but I'm going to try to blow your mind, and I want to get your opinion. So we've discussed okay. that there are two teams. Now, David hates this idea, but I'm going to roll with it. I agree with you that that line, I'm okay when everything is not okay, perfectly surmises, like, her entire body of work. I agree with that. That's very on brand. That's Tori. But do you think, is that the secret to life? Now, here's my question to you. She says, I found the secret to life. I'm okay when everything is not okay. Are you team B where the secret to life is to be okay when everything not, is not okay? Or is the secret itself not revealed? I found the secret to life and therefore I'm okay when everything is not okay. Like the secret itself is not revealed. Are you team A or are you team B? <laughs> You're kind of, yeah, you did blow my mind a little bit. Um, I, you know, I've never really took that time to think about it that way. <laughs> That's what we do. But I'm going to go, wait, was Team A, she hasn't revealed the secret? Team A is like, the secret is not revealed. I think if we know anything about Tori, the secret is not revealed. <gasps> like, she's, she's got something she's not telling us. Hello, fellow and, A. Uh, <laughs> She's not going to give it up that easy. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> She's got to leave something for herself. Well, I appreciate you being a fellow A. Are you a team noun too? Uh, I'm actually team verb. Oh, <laughs> we can't win them all. We can't win them all. That'll make David happy <laughs> that you're a team verb. So we, we each can claim part of you. <laughs> you get a piece. You yeah. Know? What's your favorite musical moment? There's these church bells going through the song. Do you love those? What? How do those... How I does... love those bells. Yeah, I do. Of course, that opening line, like we were talking about, the, or the opening riff, I love that. Um, I do really love those bells in there that are in the studio version. And of course, the bridge, is, that's a great moment. Yeah, that just like wild abandon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Is this your absolute favorite song, number one, or is it in the top three, or what is this for you? This is definitely like number one. My top three kind of like intermingle, but I think this is a pretty solid in one place for a while now. Amazing. And because of that right lyric, what if it had been like... That 15-year-old moment. Yeah. (laughs) What if it had been, you turned on the car and she was like, my daddy would scream. Would you still feel the same (laughs) way? Would it have hit you exactly in the right spot at the right time? I don't know if it would have hit quite the same way, but um, just the fact that it was still an argument with your parents maybe would have yeah maybe here's a question for you david and i didn't talk about this so i'm going to talk about this with you we mentioned a little before the phone call that maybe if she'd written this song now that that line might not be written the same way i dreamed i dreamed i dreamed i loved a black boy my daddy would scream it feels a little dated and we should talk about it yeah it does feel a little and i was just preparing for the phone call i like re-listened to some of the different versions of the song and i was kind of thinking like hmm in 2020 with everything happening like would she still say in that same way i don't know i think maybe she would i don't know but maybe she wouldn't say the thing about her father maybe she would want to protect him a little more at this point in life yeah you know i'm of the mind like if if your daughter's dreaming she loves anybody at the age of five you should scream (laughs) (laughs) yeah when you put it that way maybe yeah cool well everybody follow amber birdie amber on instagram and thank you so much for being here fellow upside down lover team a okay (laughs) thanks a lot okay bye bye Amos has performed Upside Down a total of 130 times at least. Of those 130 performances that we know for sure, 106 bootleg recordings survive, and I have listened to all 106 surviving recordings, and I'm ready to take you through them here on the AMOS Live Lounge. You are entering the AMOS Live Lounge. Look at this new live lounge. It's so spacious. I feel like I can put my feet up on the ottoman. And I'm thrilled to announce a rotating list of tour guests. And the very first one here to christen our live lounge and to leave his own special branding on our sofa. It's our very own John Oursler. Hi, boo-boo. Tell the people how many shows you've seen. Just a rough estimate. Oh, 340-something, I think. Ish. Ish. Here or there. (laughs) Who's counting? Give or take whatever happened on the app tour, which I don't remember. The Ats tour? Yeah. You're abnormally attracted to the bar. You can't remember half those shows. <laughs> You're here today to help us go through Upside Down. Are you ready for the task? Love it. Ready. Okay. In 1992, on the Little Earthquakes tour, Tori Amos performed this song at least 26 times. Of course, we don't know the exact number because we've lost most of the set lists, but on every, almost every single set list that we do have, this song appears. So we can pretty safely assume she performed it at nearly every... Every show, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. 
The very first performance that we have on record is July 3rd, 1991 at the Montreux Jazz Festival, which we played earlier. So we're going to play the first bootleg recording ever, December 12th, 1991 in Sunderland, UK. And there's a cute little goof. If you're going to be our guest in the AMOS Live Lounge, I think you have to say, roll it, Oliver. Roll it, Oliver. Good job. Well, I dreamed, I dreamed, I dreamed I loved a black boy My daddy would scream Oh, yeah Love to turn this little blue girl upside down Oh, I know you love to turn this little blue girl baby upside down Here's January 30th, 1992, in London, England, where she talks a little bit about writing this song while she was writing Silent all these years. You better roll it, Oliver. Roll it, girl. This wasn't uh, on the record. This was on the record. This is May seventh, nineteen ninety two, in Vancouver, British Columbia. Oliver Rope. The story we played earlier about why it's not on the record, that was from Eugene, Oregon, August 30th, 1992. This is that performance. It's just a really great performance of the song. So, roll it, Oliver. When you gonna stand on your own, see the world is sick, you see, and tell me what that makes us done. In 1993, after the Little Earthquakes tour, she did this promo appearance on CFNY in Toronto. They were supposed to have a piano for her, but they had this weird synth, and so she played all her music on the synth. And this is a weird synth version of Upside Down, so... Roman Oliver. Turn my little blue world upside down 
think about that synth, that 93 synth? That synth is doing a lot. I don't know about it. You want your upside-down solo? You want your upside-down plane? I'm an upside-downsy purist, and I want <laughs> piano. That's it. You want it naked? Uh, naked, for you. As naked as you can get it. Yeah. In 1994, on the Under the Pink Tour, we still have the same set list situation, but it appeared far fewer times, and we have at least 15 performances, which is less. And you know what? It was the year of the instrumental improv. How do you feel about that? Oh, uh, well, I love the improv. They added a lot. Made her a little bit looser. Yeah. Lucy girly. We're going to play some here. Let's actually play this first one. This is March 27th, 1994. And if you detect a little, like, all the girls hate her over it, you're not wrong. The most noted version from this era is March 31st, 1994. This is the one that appeared on the Past the Mission single. So let's play that here. even detect some notes of take me with you here and then July 29th 1994 in Raleigh North Carolina again a little improv before
So I'm going to throw a wild theory out there for you, John. Okay. All the girls hate her and over it, which was released as the piano suite on the God single. How do you feel if I were to make a claim that that was recorded with Upside Down and that it was clipped out of the Upside Down studio track and saved because maybe she was trying to work it in somewhere else, but none of the girls wanted that bit of music in the song. So all the girls hate her. So it kind of got discarded. Well, I feel like you would have a lot of time on your hands. <laughs> we should have had David in the lounge. He would understand me. I, I, I also feel like I, gun to my head, I could not pick either of those instrumentals out of a lineup. I have no <laughs> idea. Like. Thank God you're on the AMOS Live Lounge. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm an expert. When you picture the AMOS Live Lounge, are you picturing like a futuristic, like silver furniture and velvet rug? What are you picturing in the AMOS Live I'm, Lounge? I'm, I'm picturing kind of like a clockwork orange milk bar feel. Ooh, a milk bar. Well, you're setting the tone. Dave and I are just going to have to match it. That's what I do. Thank you. Um, a milk bar we shall have. In 1996, Tori Amos went on the Dewdrop In tour, and the set lists are a bit more complete, and we know for sure that she performed this song 28 times. This is the first time she performed it in this era. This is actually a promo performance from Much Music with another improv before. So roll that, Oliver. This is March 24th, July 2nd, 1996, John, in Phoenix, mm-hmm. a gentleman jumps on stage. I wouldn't call him a gentleman, though. He jumps on stage in the middle of Upside Down. It's nasty. So this is probably, uh, my very favorite song that ever came to visit me, and it never made any of my records. What an idiot. <laughs>
Just as she began upside down, interestingly enough, some guy rushed up onto the stage from one of the corners and managed to make it all the way up to where she was playing, literally right there in her face, security running after him. I couldn't see if he actually managed to touch her, but she cried out in distress briefly before he was dragged away. Certainly she must be used to this, but whatever happened, she completely froze in place as they took him away. What was odd was that as soon as it happened, a few people in the audience started to laugh. Maybe they thought it was part of the act. Whatever the case, after he was taken away, people started yelling things at him, to which she responded to the audience, Don't kill him! Don't kill him! They'll take care of him! She then calmly launched back into Upside Down. Was it you? Um, it was not. It was not a then fifteen-year-old me. No, <laughs> you would never. You would never jump on stage, right? Well, it depends if she did my request or not. How moved by the spirit have you been? Have you almost been ready to like climb the stairs and just go dive over the barricades? I've more been ready to like lay on the ground and like you know imagining my imminent doom <laughs> than the other energy you're uh, describing. I've seen that. So <laughs> I would only go on stage. <laughs> If she offered onstage seating at like an extra price, you know, like side seats with wine service, I would do that. I would go on stage to do a milk big wheel patty cake clap. Oh, my God. She should have people like come to the sides. Right. (laughs) Bring them up. Bring them up. Where are my girls at? (laughs) I love it. I would like hit my head like pat, pat. Oh, my God. Like wipe out the old girl and bring in the new girl. M-I-L-F choke me, daddy. (laughs) I love it. Here's another one from 1996. This is September 22nd in Green Bay. I just love this ending. Moving on to Plugged, Tori performed this song 13 times on Plugged. Do you know it was the very first Secret Time song ever? That makes sense. An old standard. She knows well. A good friend who said, I'll always be there when you need me, and was there on the first Plugged show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see it. Are we willing to say, with no upside down, there would be no Secret Time? No. <laughs> no? <laughs> That the only reason she didn't go full band the whole show was because of Upside Down? You're not willing to say that? I'm not willing at this time to make that claim. Okay, well, maybe after this performance. Roll it, Ollie.
1999, there were three tours, the five and a half weeks tour, the to Dallas and back tour, and then the solo promo tour. And she performed it once on each tour, kind of. She performed it three times in 99. And this is November 28th, 1999 in Orange. Surprising just three times that tour. I know it was a short tour, but. Yeah, it was a short tour. The set lists were a little shorter. She did those uh, solo shows at the end. Yeah, yeah. On the Strange Little Tour in 2001, Tori performed the song nine times, John, and I've picked out my two favorites for you. Are you ready? Ready. This is October 15th in Boston. Best bridge of tour confirmed. Bebot. <laughs> Bebot. And this is 9th of November in Seattle. And there's a cute little goof with a little improv, and I love it. In 2002-2003, Tori performed the song 13 times, twice on Scarlet's Walk, both times solo. Why do you ask? Am I denoting that this solo song was performed solo? It's because the 11 times she did it on Lot of Pianos, she did it with a band. Plot twist. Are you shocked? It was shocking at the time. I remember everyone was like, what? Were you beside yourself? I was happy, and she did it with a couple other songs. She was doing, like, all kinds of things then. I don't know. It's wild. Yeah, it was good. I liked it. Would you have ever guessed beforehand that this would have been a band song? Never, ever. No, it's like a quintessential solo song to me. Yeah. This is the last time she did the song solo before giving it the band arrangement. This is March 26, 2003 in Green Bay. Something about Green Bay.
This is the first time she did it with the band, July 26, 2003 in Redmond. And here's another, this is my favorite band version right here because it's like so jammy. This is August 1st, 2003 in LA. And you know I love Tori as a jam band. You know I love it. Fish. Fish, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Serving real fish though, real fish with an F. Serving fish. <laughs> are on the Summer of Sin tour. Do you feel that we're still there? I didn't feel it then. I don't feel it now. <laughs> I'm never left. She performed it twice on the Summer of Sin tour, back to being solo. We're going to skip ahead, though, to American Doll Posse, where she performed it eight times, two of which were solo, and six of which were with a band as Clyde. Oh, that's right. The Womp Womp Hour. Don't you speak of Clyde that way. Listen, Clyde is your melancholy sister. Clyde is who we were as teens. Clyde is still there. Clyde is who we were a couple hours ago. I just, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I want to brush the hair out of her eyes and say, come on, girl, let me give you a hand and like lift her up <laughs> off the sidewalk. <laughs> come on. You better oh. bring your own son, Clyde. Right. <laughs> I'll take you to dinner, girl. Come on. <laughs> This is one of the only times she did it solo, that tour. This is September 28th in Perth. This is the first time she did it with the band. All five of the six are available for purchase right now on iTunes, on the Legs and Boots, and I suggest you go do that right now. This is the first time she did it with the band as Clyde. This is Buffalo on October 24th, 2007. You see, oh, 
Speaking of the Abnormally Attracted to Sin tour, this is October 10th, 2009 in Warsaw, and she did this with Graveyard. I was there. Oh, so good. Beautiful, right? Yeah, beautiful. You were also here for this performance, right? This is June 11, 2010 in Manchester at Bonnaroo. You were there, right? I was there, yeah. Yeah, I'm John Aursler, and it's Tori Amos. Uh, hello. Why bother? <laughs> wasted tape. That's wasted tape. <laughs> <laughs> this is 2011 Night of Hunters. You did every show? Every show, yeah. Thanks for the invite, John. I didn't even know Tori was touring. Why didn't anybody tell me? This is October 22nd, 2011.
She performed it once on the 2012 Gold Dust Tour, but I'm going to skip ahead to Unrepentant Geraldines, and I want you to tell me what it was like to hear Upside Down with Upside Down. Well, it was consistent with her being proudly literal, which she, uh, we know she is. <laughs> she is. Her interpretation yeah. of things sometimes. Staunchly. Staunchly, even. It's cute because she's so cheesy about it, you know? She likes hams. Yeah, you know, she's like grinning like, look what I did. <laughs> upside down with upside down. <laughs> you get it, guys. They have the same I love it. <laughs> this is her performing the last bit of her upside down into the first bit of Diana Ross's upside down on August 6th, 2014 in Detroit. Performed it once in 2015 and twice in 2017. And I want to take you to the time she performed it in Toronto on October 30th, 2017. You know why? Why is that? Because it was my request. Hey. This is after me talking to her at the meet and greet, telling her about Dwayne, my ex who passed away, and telling her that that was our song and sort of trying to relate it to Upside Down 2. This is her performing Upside Down in Toronto on the Native Invader mm-hmm. tour. Aww. special moment for you was it yeah it really was that today is the only time she's performed upside down with upside down too Mm. possibly ever well i don't know we'll see yeah it's gonna happen come on yeah what if she opens with upside down and closes with upside down too again i see it happening what if in the new album there's upside down three come on (laughs) (laughs) the trilogy is complete we could do it's like a film festival screening back to back to back but only on special occasions like on halloween (laughs) 
<laughs> John, this has been so great. Thank you for being our inaugural guest to our AMOS Live Lounge. Grab a drink at the Milk Bar. Yes, sir. You know I will. Tip the cigar boy on your way out. Mm-hmm. And take a left at the Vision Tunnel. Bye. We hope you've enjoyed your visit to the AMOS Live Lounge. Goodbye. did it david we turned it we turned that little blue song upside down that little b-side upside down we turned it upside down we shook it all that stuff came out upside down inside out we set it back right side up and now we're moving on god that sounds violent have you ever been made into someone's pinata i feel like that's what we just did to this song (laughs) i have been held upside down by my ankles and shaped oh my just (laughs) smack me until all my secrets come falling out it's a it's like a tradition you like hold a kid upside down by their ankles and you spank their ass on their birthday happy birthday yeah i don't know if the upside down part is the tradition (laughs) (laughs) this is was just done to me i feel like this is why we'll never be parents well one of the reasons i'd like to be a parent so if you're out there and would like to be co-parents with me email us at songs of at gmail.com or follow us on our social at songs of Amos on instagram facebook twitter you can also call our hotline 323-296-9955 and thank you for doing so in advance if you love what we do head over to patreon.com slash songs of Amos, where we have many different perks at many different levels mostly extra audio content and a yearly beautiful Christmas card from Jack Foster. And if you love us and this show has enriched your life in any way, please write a review on iTunes. And if you write that review and speak of how wonderful we are, even better. We need to get to a point where when you type Tori Amos into Apple Podcasts, we're actually the result that comes up. I would be satisfied if when you type Tori Amos, we are the result that comes up, but I won't rest until we're the result that comes up when you type two. Tori Amos, the song is Tori Amos. Is that what you're looking for? For? I don't think no, that's was too much to ask. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been great. I'm glad that we're redoing these B-sides. It's going to be a journey this year, but I hope to complete them all this year. It's going to be great. How many are there again? B-sides mm-hmm. there are plenty. There are 18 tracks total between Little Earthquakes and Under the Pink, including soundtrack songs, including Little Drummer Boy, Sarah Cynthia, Sylvia Stout, Happy Worker, Ring My Bell, but those aren't technically B-sides. 18 so. between Under the Pink and Little Earthquakes or 18 just Little Earthquakes era? 18 between Little Earthquakes and Under the Pink. So we have 18 episodes to do before we get to Under the Pink. Uh, okay, that makes well, more sense. Well, 17 now. And that includes <laughs> the likes of Manji? That includes the likes of Manji, Ma Thank You, Ma Smells Like Teen Spirit, all of that stuff. <laughs> Ma Pool? Ma Pool. <laughs> Ma Sweet Dreams? <laughs> Ma Take to the Sky? Ma Thoughts? Exactly, that's the next one. My thoughts. <laughs> well, this has been a blast. Thank you for listening, everybody out there. Thank you for listening to me, David, and for speaking with me. Same. Did it sound like I was listening? Okay, good. You fell for it. <laughs> you can wipe your brow. <laughs> it, uh... All I heard was chatter, 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 chatter. <laughs> well, now my world has been shatter, 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 shattered. Damn. <laughs> Bye. Bye.
Drive All Night is a production of the Sideways Society. For more information and links to things mentioned in this episode, please visit us online at songsoftoryamus.com.